are back in the Football Shed, the podcast of football fans that live in the wrong time zone. My name's John Hewitt and Roger Gibbs is here. Hello. G'day, Rog. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good. You ready uh, to talk Southampton? I am. Oh, you don't sound very enthusiastic, Rog. I'm no, no, to, uh, I'm... I'm uh, I, I think... Too many lunchtime beers? Maybe, yeah. Maybe a bit lethargic enjoying my... <laughs> The freedom, the relative freedoms, freedoms of regional Victoria. Um, but uh, no, I am. I'm looking forward to hearing about Southampton. I think it's um, as we get into a few more of these um, shed specials, and we've actually had a, a, a couple of games as well. Um, gives a slightly different perspective on things. So, looking forward to, to hearing about it. Yeah, so this is the next uh, Shed special, which I still can't say. Um, it's part of our new fan series where we talk to Premier League fans based here in Australia. Um, and as we said, we are talking about Southampton today and we are joined by John and Jeff from the Southampton Australia Supporters Group. Hi guys, how are you going? Good afternoon, gents. How are we? Yeah, very well. Thanks for joining us today. Um, now, before we get stuck into it, John, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the Southampton Australia Supporters Group. Like... Do you get together to watch games and how long you've been running, etc.? Yeah, okay. Um, basically, it started as a uh, uh, what's it called a um, email group uh, in Melbourne. I just kept uh, walking the streets about all oh, early noughties, early two thousands. Walking the streets, if I saw someone with a sticker on their Southampton on the back of their car or in a Southampton shirt at an A League game or a local football game, I go up and ask anybody get their email address, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, then Facebook came along a few years later and I did a search for Southampton supporters and another member of our group, Hayden, said, why don't you start a page along with my wife and slowly started getting bigger and bigger. Then it got nationwide and uh, to cut a long story short, now we've got in the thousands of supporters and every year we do an annual road trip, which is epic. Early this oh, year wow. before lockdown, we had it in February this year up on the Gold Coast. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, we're, we're planning to have one for this season in Perth, but Hopefully, borders open up early next year and we'll be able to go. And, um, yeah, we just – I can't. I didn't know there were that many Southampton supporters in Australia. So, uh, <laughs> to be honest, growing up, I was the only one. And when I found out there were more than one, I was, I was absolutely amazed. Yeah. Jeff, do you get together and watch games in pubs? Like, do you have pubs in certain cities that you go to or do you just kind of work it out as you go? Basically, here in Melbourne, we tend to go to the Imperial there, just across the road from Parliament. Um, they've welcomed us. It's predominantly a Liverpool members' pub there, but uh, you get a lot of cross-section of clubs going to that particular pub to watch games. Um, they're very good at promoting the game. They're very welcoming of supporters from all clubs to go there and watch. Um, I find the environment there to be absolutely fantastic, um, very welcoming, very friendly, very supportive of football. Awesome. Good one. Thanks, guys. Now, before we get stuck into Southampton, we want to learn a little bit about you two as uh, football fans. So we're going to play a game called Zidane or Kilban. So the basic idea is we give you a few subjects to do with football. And if you think it's good, you call it Zidane. If you think it's shit, you call it Kilban. So, um, Jeff, we'll go to you first. Yeah. What is your opinion? Is it Zidane or Kilban for VAR? I'd have to say the principle was Zidane, but we're seeing a lot of teething problems, aren't we? We saw a lot of teething problems last year. Um, we saw some incredible mistakes being made that just shouldn't be made. Um, a principle and the idea behind it, if you've got the technology, you've got to get it right. 
Otherwise, yep. there's no point in it. You shouldn't <laughs> really be making mistakes. That's the whole idea is to get rid of the mistakes. The good thing that I do like about it now is that the big clubs will no longer get that 50-50 decision go their way. <laughs> yeah, that's clubs, very true. We, we now have a little bit better chance. <laughs> John, what about yourself? Uh, you VAR? Definitely Zidane. After last weekend, I mean, we were playing a high line. We got uh, Tottenham caught out on a couple of offsides, even though we lost 4-2. We even got a penalty, which shouldn't have been a penalty because of VAR. Zidane all the way. I really think it benefits the smaller clubs. As um, as mentioned, we do – it gets rid of the 50-50 going for the big clubs. And as a small club supporter, you do yeah. find that a lot. Yeah, nice. Um, okay, John, sticking with you, the next one on Zidane or Kilban is the A-League. Uh, if you asked me five, six years ago, it definitely would have been Zidane. Now it's, I'd rather watch AFL if I had the choice any day. So yeah. <laughs> it's just gone downhill. <laughs> the promotion's been bad. The, I think what's killed it the most is uh, Foxtel losing the EPL because they used to watch the EPL highlights and then go straight into the A-League and used to stay on and watch it. Uh, I used to be a victory member. I yeah. came along for City because you didn't have to line up to grab beers. There was no crowd there. Uh, <laughs> I love that, especially with two with two sons. Yeah, today I'm just going to the bar. Come back yeah. uh, now. Victor made the. I mean, sorry, City made the final, and I just didn't really do much for me. Yeah. I, I watched it. I think I'd missed had an afternoon nap and missed the first ten minutes before going into it. Oh, five years ago, I would have been there. I would have been there, all awful of anticipation for it. It's interesting having done a few of these now with. Ask people about the A League. The same story comes up again and again and again. Five six years ago, we were on board. I was a member of Melbourne City five six years ago, and then everyone just kind of fell out of love with it and got bored of it and was just a bit like, "This is not going anywhere. The standards not good enough. They're not promoting it well enough." But I think it's an interesting point you say about the Foxtel losing the Premier League because you did have that on a Saturday evening, you could watch the A-League game and then just go straight through and watch the Premier League. And it kind of had this flow about it. Um, they've kind of lost that. Um, Jeff, what's your opinion on uh, the A-League? Is it still going? <laughs> <laughs> That's your answer right there, boys. Like everybody would been saying, you go back to when it all kicked off and it was really exciting you finally had teams put together with no cultural alliances and the whole concept was fantastic and everybody brought into it. Now you look at it and you just think, you know, I think John brought up a very, very good point with the loss of the rights there to Foxtel. Mm. Um, you just think to yourself, where's it actually going? The money's not there anymore. Has that got to do with it not being promoted, the standards of players? Probably a little bit of all of that. But it's just lost interest, and I've lost interest in it as well. I can't remember the last time I went to a game, guys, to be honest. Yeah. I really can't. No, I'm totally the same. I think all this is fairly damning on the on the administrators of the game in Australia because, to me, the, the support hasn't gone anywhere. I think there's still plenty of people that, you know, there's a market that want to have a viable league um, you know, in, in Australia and be able to – because it isn't – you know, whilst it's great, we all love watching – football on telly because it's what we have to do if we, if we love football here um but it's not the same as being able to go to a game and I, I know as a football fan I really miss that but I think they you know there's there's just a number of decisions they've got wrong you know in in the last over several years and I think what we're seeing now is is a result of poor administration of the game 
Yeah, I think you spot on, Rog. Um, right, let's move into uh, talking a little bit about Southampton. Um, so we've got a few questions. We just want to ask you what it's basically to be like a Southampton fan here in Australia. Um, but to start with, I, I kind of had pretty high hopes for you guys this season. I, I? was really impressed <laughs> with you guys in the second half of last season. I thought um, Hassan Hootel got the team playing really well. There was Danny Ings was flying in with great goals and we just looked, oh, I, and I genuinely thought there's a possible top 10 finish on this season. I thought Southampton looked like they can really um, go somewhere. Um John, do you reckon, can you answer why maybe it's not quite started like that? I think we're jumping to too many conclusions. It's two games in. We've still got a very, very competent and excellent manager, as he showed in Germany, taking teams up from the third tier to the first tier, taking small teams up to second position in the Bundesliga. Um, I don't think it's panic stations yet. I don't think the manager should be going anywhere. I do think... And because of COVID, everything also in Europe, I do think the transfer market is very difficult to negotiate this year. Yes, we've had two people go out, which we weren't expecting to keep anyway. Mm. Um, it's very hard to get them back in, but we are working on it. I think I'm not as I'm disappointed with the two losses, especially round one. But I'm not as I'm not hitting the panic button as yet. And even if we lose tonight, oh sorry, tomorrow morning. At Burnley, I'm not worried because their was their long ball game. We find very difficult to negotiate. So in saying that, I'm I don't think my high hopes for possibly even sneaking into Europe have been shattered a bit. But I don't think it's panic stations yet. And traditionally, Southampton do start badly. <laughs> yeah, Jeff. What about you? Uh. Yeah, look, they finished with a real flurry last year, which was really, really promising. And you saw particularly when Stuart Armstrong, uh, the midfielder they got from Celtic, come across, um, coincided with him being a regular in that midfield and playing some very, very good football. Um, What does concern me is the fact that they've only had one transfer come in, uh, the big centre-half there, Salazar, um, and even the, the really big clubs up the top there, the big six or seven, regardless, are still bringing people in. I know it's a money problem. I know the current climate is very difficult under COVID, particularly with the middle tier to lower tier clubs going out and you know, throwing out the checkbook. Um, we're probably one or two midfielders shorter, I think. Uh, I do think Ings needs a bit of help up front as well. Um, top 10 probably isn't out of the question. Um, if they were to make Europe, I think they'd have to add to that squad. I think Europe's maybe just a step too far. I think what John said is correct. It's only two games in. You don't get panicking too much at this stage. Uh, when you play a high line, a high press game like they did the other night, I think you need to be a little bit more smarter against some of these top top teams. Like Mourinho is going to park the bus and hit you on the break, and when you play a high line like that, you just get slaughtered. It's exactly what happened. Son just had a field day. Could have had a double hat trick, in fact. Maybe <laughs> maybe sit, your, sit the high line back a little bit. Make sure you have quick wingers to get back to defend that. Also, look at your back four and back five and make sure that they have got wheels on them, good wheels on them to negate that situation. Um, 
that's probably really about it. As I said, my main concern is they need to get some more blokes in, I think. I, I think I'd agree with that, John, as well, from a, a neutral perspective. Like, I, I think I, I really like this time of year because we do see these, like, massive knee-jerk reactions to one or two games. And it's kind of like, you know, you have your expectation of a club and then two bad results and, you know, the media just completely f- flip on it. And, um, you know, it's it's panic stations all around. I, I mean, having watched the Spurs-Southampton game last week, uh, I was really impressed with Southampton for a lot of the game. I thought I, I think that was a good point, Jeff, in terms of the the high line and, and perhaps a bit of naivety there, um, and really the quality of Harry Kane just being able to you know mm. play that pass. Um, but I think generally there was a lot to like, and we just Shea Adams had a um, a decent uh, chance there when it was at one all, um, when, which could have changed the game. And I just I'd just be interested on that. Um, I picked Shea Adams this year as um, my surprise player of the season um, on the shed. I think I watch, I'm a Bristol City fan, so watch a bit of championship. Um, and obviously it didn't quite work last season. But, I mean, uh, he was obviously he was looking a bit sharper when, you, when we came back from the break last season. Um, and then he's, by reports, had a good pre-season. Uh, what do, do you guys think he's got enough quality to to be that support for for Rings, or would you like to be going out and back into the transfer for market? Um, I'll be honest. I think give him time. He's, he's not that old. Mm. He's not that old. He's, he's still a relatively young man in football terms, and very young in ex, uh, Premier League experience. Last week, the way he got himself into position was Ings-like. It just thing. It just it got the power. He got everything on his shots. He just needed a bit of an angle. Give him a week or two, yeah. And the thing is, we've got a lot of young. Well, we've got. I'll give you an example. I'm a bit of a fan of uh, Michael Abafeni. I don't know if you are Jeff, but I am yep. Yep. the young, um, uh, the young Irish player. Now, yep. give him time. It, it's not like you can't because him. To a lesser extent, they're young players. You can't just expect them to come in and be Ings. It'd be good if we played a bit more Shane Long in, who has that experience behind him. And I don't know what his fitness is like being on the other side of the world, but can he put the full 90 minutes in? Who knows? But yeah, there's potential there and it will come out, I believe. I have to agree with John there, guys. Um, if you looked at the situation last year, he wasn't even getting in position to score. And I think that really tells the difference between the Premier League and the Championship. You know, you could slaughter it in the Championship and still get to the next level and really, really, you know, struggle. You're, you're coming up against arguably the best defences in the world, the best international players in the world and the best international competition in the world. So there's quite a considerable difference between the two leagues. Um, he was getting nowhere near it last year. And then it just sort of started to click towards him towards the end of last year. He's now getting into better positions. He just lacks that finesse, that final touch that the real elite yeah. strikers have. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen a couple of times, even towards the end of last year, he made good position and he's hit it straight at the keeper. Now, if that falls at the feet of Mo Salah or Kane, bang, it's in the back of the net. And that there's your difference. Will it take time? Yes. Will he get there? Not sure. But I definitely think the improvement is there. On the um, so the transfer window is open at the moment. Um, where are the holes in your squad that you're particularly 
looking for. Jeff, you mentioned the midfield, maybe you need a player or two. But if we've got a week or just under a week left of the transfer window, is there anywhere, John, if you want to go first, is there anywhere that you really, we need the left back, right back, or what is it that's standing out? Definitely (laughs) centre-half. Okay, we've got Tor. Is that the same for every Premier League club? Yeah, true. (laughs) There aren't any. We've got got centre-backs there. They're either too slow or not skillful enough. Yeah, okay, best the guard. Yes, he's too slow. <laughs> um, but turning it, oh, there is a spine. Yeah, I reckon even the Titanic has got a small turning circle than best the guard. But uh, <laughs> we, we definitely need some more agile centre backs, good in the air, and good run the feet. I mean, like every other club, definitely need centre backs. Uh, wing backs, a yeah. couple of wing, even though we've got decent wing backs, they're nothing sensational. And especially on the right hand side. Get something a bit better, but we have got young kids there like Walker Peters and young Valerie who can take that spot and need years behind them. That's the problem in the Premier League. You've got young players, you can't afford to keep them there to learn because you end up getting relegated. So, um, yep. as I said before, Michael Abafemi, uh, Shea Adams, our two right backs that we've got, the experience will do them good, but you can't. Southampton being the, cl- uh, the club that they are, they haven't got the, how can I put it, the squad big enough or the squad capable enough to allow to blood young players, one or two young players every couple of weeks. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, is there any particular positions, Jeff, that you're looking at? You think we need someone here or there? Uh, look, I think if they're looking to get into the... The top ten, then, what John was saying was good. Uh, Stevens and Benenak at centre-half are not too bad. I don't, I don't mind Benenak. Stevens has his moments, can get lost in traffic. Um, <laughs> Salazu, I, I, I'm not quite sure whether that's going to solve the problem. He comes with big rats, but, again, he's only 21 years of age. Um, big, experienced centre-halves who are good, as you know, they don't grow on trees. Um, so having a look at a couple of reserves there uh, wouldn't be such a bad idea. I really do think the midfield needs to be looked at. Um, we saw a couple of yellow cards go out on the weekend and even the manager said there and then, we're taking those guys off because we're going to go down to 10 or 9 if they pick up another yellow and we're bringing on guys who really can't play in that position or uh, who are too young. Um, so I think a bit more midfield depth that's needed. And if possible, get a, a partner up front to take some pressure off Ings and put some goals in the back of the net. On uh, Moving off the team a little bit, um, I wanted to talk about uh, Ralph Hasselhutl. Is that the right pronunciation? <laughs> we call him the rabbit hutch <laughs> because that's easy yeah. to say. <laughs> but um, Hasselhutl's come in and he's been at the club uh, best part of two years now. Um, yes. And in my opinion, he's the best manager you've had since Pochettino. Um, went through Koeman, Puel, Pellegrino, Mark Hughes. Probably the less said about Mark Hughes, the better. Um, <laughs> but I think Hassan seems like he's got a bit of a plan and plays in a certain way that is exciting. Um, it's got his flaws, but it seems like there's something, and you both mentioned it at the start, you kind of, proud to have him as the manager and think he's got something about him. Um, do you do the fans, are they behind, are all the fans behind Hassan Hootle? And does he have a vision for why, the way the team should be playing this year? 
Um, personally, I like him. Uh, most people I know are big fans. Uh, obviously, because we're not getting to the pub and having a chat and all that, we can't really hear what everyone else says at the pub and I don't really feel qualified enough to talk about what everyone's saying in England because, as you know, we're on the other side of the world. <laughs> but uh, we have got one guy in our group from Bulgaria for some reason who said he's not a fan because I don't know why. I think he's jumping the gun. Um, I think that uh, it, look, his track record in Germany, his track record with Southampton, look at the mess we were when he took over from Hughes. Look how we finished last year. We're only two games in. Fair enough, one of the games we were expected to win. But, no, I've got absolute confidence in him and I really can't talk about what all of my mates I usually drink with and watch the games with uh, are thinking because, um, <laughs> who knows, we do have a few uh, video catch-ups before a game. But... Um, I, all I know is that everyone I talk to in Australia has confidence in him. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? Personally, I think if the stat says it all, when he has taken more points off the top six than the last three managers combined, and I think that wow. says it all. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing that people have got to understand is bums on seats, and that's the reason the little Frenchman got the A, because the last seven games, they won one. Mm. Lost, I think they lost five and toured one. Now, they made the League Cup final that year, and he finds himself out. Most middle-tier clubs would go, oh, God almighty, we're playing for silverware. How good's this? Yet he found himself out. People don't want to sit on seats and watch garbage defensive park-the-bus football. Southampton's renowned for entertaining and that's what gets people in. And they can't afford to play Dow football at home at St Mary's because yep. it's a lose-lose situation. You just won't get the punters through the gate. It's that simple. Sure, Hassan Huttle has some flaws, and we saw that last you know, Sunday against Tottenham. But when you're a middle-tier club and you're picking up points, you're going to pick up more points against the middle-tier clubs and the lower clubs playing that style. Yep, and that's an honest fact. And Jeff, the I mean, the, the Southampton board have, have obviously backed Hassan Hutelin in the um, you know he was given a, a five year um, contract um, last season um, or towards the end of last season, which which is fairly unusual in the in you know today's climate, and I think is a real vote of confidence in the manager. Um, and in terms of for those people who don't necessarily see, you know, as much of Southampton, um, what what do you see as the you know the club have bought into it? It sounds like you guys are fans have bought into it. What what do you see as um, a Hassan Hootel team? How does he like his teams to to set up? And you know, what do you see him see him trying to do there in a in a, in a football sense? He tends to play a four four two system. Um, sometimes what he'll do is he, with that 4-4-2 system, he will, the middle four, he'll push the left and the right wing forward as well. So you'll be left with a 4-2-2 system up the front there. Um, he plays a high press, as we know, hence the high line there. Um, we seem tend to see that a bit with Liverpool as well, especially early on with Klopp. He tend to play that high pressing style of football, waiting for the mistake to turn the ball over. Um, that's pretty much what we saw. And Southampton supporters are really supportive of that because they saw that beginnings under Pochettino as well. Pochettino brought a very similar sort of system to Southampton. 
on 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 that i am um, just uh i wanted to ask you guys um watching southampton play under um hassan hootal is better than it has been under the last previous managers etc um and we touched on this just before we started recording around a little bit of what southampton's aims are for this season and in my head you're not going to get relegated but you're probably not going to get top 6 either so as fans of Southampton, what is it, is it important that you are playing attacking attractive football to make it more enjoyable? Um, or what are the hopes you, you have for a season? What is the hopes you have on a wider conceptual level for the football club? Um, and I'll go to you first, John. OK, well, basically it's up to the individual. I mean, we get on our a Facebook page every day arguing different or various mm forums arguing for and against. Some people say it's all results-based. Some people say it's all it's all um, attractiveness or getting your bum on the seat to watch some good football. So basically it's up to the individual. Personally, for myself, I like a mixture of both. I like to win and win nice. But if it came to one or the other, I want to stay up and have success. I want those points. I want those Ws and Ds more yeah. than the, the Ls. So... As I said, it's basically up to the individual. What do you reckon, Jeff? Uh, probably a bit more of a realist, John. Um, <laughs> I'd, like, uh, I'd like to think that the uh, oligarchs grow on trees, mate, but unfortunately they don't. They end up like the skates, end up like Portsmouth. <laughs> no, please, don't bring them into it. <laughs> um, I must admit, though, they're very funny at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> the gift that keeps giving, mate. Porsche's football yes, club. <laughs> Look, I think from a, a realist point of view, I just most Southampton supporters like to think that they've got the middle tier clubs and the lower clubs covered and that they're going to be bloody nuisance value to the top six. The top six are going to come along and go, right, we're going to have to really pull finger today. You know, yeah. we, will, we probably more than likely will beat them. But if we go out there, Blase, this mob will get us. And that's mm. how I'd like it to be. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So I, and I, <laughs> and I, I and guess I, it comes I, off years. I'll go on, you go, Rog. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I think that South, I think that's probably a, a fairly fair assumption of what Southampton have been doing for a long time. You know, I think even if you go back to um to Latis and, and and back you know back that far and I think of Southampton it, it it was like that you know I think it was the um not necessarily best of the rest but you know being comfortable enough to um you know you're not worrying about relegation but having enough quality that you can challenge some of the you know the the better teams and I just but we know that the Southampton philosophy for a long time has been they haven't got the finance there so they're going to need to sell um to buy and, and to you know their model has very much been to sell some of their better players uh you know we obviously and so i you know do you, do you you guys accept that as as fans because obviously we saw maybe when kuman was there that southampton squad was quite strong you know we talked about pochettino as well you know is there a bit of you that sort of uh as fans almost wants to see the club you know, I suppose take a bit more of a risk and try and kick on, or, or you just accept that you're going to have to sell players to, you know, to, to to be sustainable. Well, we've been selling since Shearer all the way to Van Dyke. 
And we yeah. had that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, 83, we came second in the league and we were able to keep players. Uh, but ever since then, it's been selling, as I said, from the era of Shearer, the Van Dyke, and there's been a lot of great escapes. Yeah. Uh, especially in the 80s and 90s, there were a lot of great escapes, late 80s and early 90s. So, we have to sell. We're not a big club, but in saying that, we have, I'm pretty sure we, I've read Matt Letizia's book. He actually said he was he, he nearly got sold, but he refused to mm-hmm. leave. So um, we are a selling club, unfortunately, because we're not as most clubs of our size are. Um, we, as supporters and having a bit of fun, we were wrapped when we held on to Van Dyke for that extra year because Liverpool, the way Liverpool came to get him through the back door, really upset us, and that's what made us this out, even though we weren't winning many games at the but uh, we need to find a middle ground. And uh, I think overall at times when we've had success and we've made Europe and we've done things like that since the in the Premier League era, that's when we've been able to find that middle ground, even as far back as the year we made the FA Cup, that era. So, yeah. I mean, the FA Cup final. Sorry, under Gordon Strachan. Sorry, not I'm talking about when we won. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit more difficult nowadays, guys, because the big clubs just do as they please. They go, ooh, ooh, shiny, I want that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, there is nothing, nothing you can do when they come knocking. Bigger wage, silverware, Champions League football, and contracts mean shit. You just look at the... Tantrum Lalana and the man his name should not be said, Lovren, mm-hmm. and Van Dyke did. They just go, nah, I'm not playing. Toys Damn out jokes. of the pram, off up into the stands they go. Now, the Van Dyke situation was that bad, it was untenable. When he came back from the under-23s, he made it perfectly clear he did not want to be there went out onto the park, put in half-assed performances and caused a lot of angst in the dressing room. And they had to move him on. This is the problem you've got. The FA are weak. These big clubs do as they please. And Liverpool apologise. Now, when do big clubs apologise? Southampton had the the evidence on them that they've been tapping Van Dyke up illegally. Big clubs don't go apologising to little clubs. This made the papers. It was a release statement. There is nothing you can do. So this this middle ground probably is pie-in-the-sky stuff. We only mm. saw a little bit of that with Schneidel and Wanyama when they were told, we've done all our selling. Sorry, boys, you're going to have to stay for one more year. They threw their toys out of the cot as well, but at least they were professional enough to come back and say, right, I've signed a contract. I've got to fulfil my professional obligations here. I'm still a professional footballer. I'm still getting a good wage came to an agreement with the club to move them on the next year. But I go back to what I was saying before. There is nothing you can do. This, this, this myth of being a selling club, yeah, maybe 10, 20 years ago, you don't sell. You're made to sell now. That is the honesty yeah. of the situation. Mm. Yeah. You just listed a whole bunch of players that – you, that's a really good side. Mane. <laughs> it must, it, it oh, must be a little bit Mane. hard. Yeah, do you want to hear a good side? Yeah, go Nathaniel, on, Jeff, tell us. Nathaniel Klein, Dijon Lovren, 
Okay, let's throw in Toby Alderweire here. Let's throw yeah. in Van Dyke. Let's throw in Shaw. All right, let's throw in Wanyama. Let's throw in Lalana. Okay, we'll throw them in there as well. Who else Sorry. can we put in there? We'll put in Sadio Mane up front, Theo Walcott, Oxlade Chamberlain, Gareth Bale. <laughs> We're talking Champions now, League here. Champions League. Arsene Wenger actually said in an interview if they had kept that lot together, they would have won just about everything and anything. But you can't. That's the thing. You can't. The big clubs, yeah, no, you, the way it's set exactly up, the right. big clubs can just come knocking, as you said, Jeff. The big clubs yep. can just come knocking and take whatever they want, and that's just reality. And so, do you think that that's what it is? It's a, you know, it's an external factor outside of the club's control. You think rather than yeah, any definitely. element of the of the club recognizing they need to balance the books. No. If they could keep the players, they could go. They could go to Champions League and make all the money from Champions League money. You know what I mean? But you just can't. It's it's out of our hands. On that, um, I don't really know what the ownership of Southampton looks like. I don't know who the owner is. Is that we understand maybe as. <laughs> as outsiders a little bit we understand that we see the players that have left the club etc and we understand that model and trying to buy younger um but who who actually owns southampton um and are they good or bad um john do you want to go okay um you can take over jeff when you want but uh, <laughs> okay we actually went bankrupt or close to bankrupt and we got sent down to third division negative mm. 10 and to get where we are now was absolutely amazing. And yeah. we were like only a few hours from becoming insolvent and dissolve. And then the Lieber family came along, a Swiss-German family who have the biggest machinery or construction machinery business in Europe and one of the biggest in the world. They saved us. And they came on, they put a good business, oh, again, they put a good business deal in. And they got all the great managers and they got great, people running the club, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, then they sold, was it 90%, Jeff, of the club, Mr. Gale? They sold, they sold 80% to the Land of Sports Development Group. Um, Land, I know it's Land of Sports Development. I wasn't sure it was 80 or 90%. And they were, and they were a Chinese company, but um, Mr. Learbird passed away, Marcus. He's absolutely a legend of the club. He saved the club from going dissolvent. And he passed away, and which brought much sadness to every Southampton supporter. And his daughter took over, and then the Lander Sports Cane Company took over, run by Mr. Gower, a Chinese man, businessman. Uh, there's some good things. There's something saying he's a dodgy guy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know the man. I don't know enough about to make it. I don't know what libel laws are. If I say too much, but <laughs> um, he's currently got the club up for sale for his eighty percent, and we're talking the hundreds of millions of pounds. Uh, he's dropped the price. But uh, Katrina Lehab, the Labour family still own 80, uh, 20% of the club and they're still involved. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's a bit of, I don't know exactly what's going on, but 80% of the club's up for sale. So we're looking at uh, 250 to 290 million pounds was the figure. Plus the 70 million, isn't it 70 million pounds debt as well, Jeff? Yeah, something along those yeah. lines. But I'm not exactly yeah. sure. So we're talking 350, more or less, mm. don't quite me, but we're talking about 350. So you just need that uh, Russian oligarch to turn up and uh, go, yeah, we'll have that. Uh, but, you know, it's like, I don't know if you guys know what it's like, but supporting a small club is very difficult. I remember when we were in second division, it was saying people like Microsoft were going to buy the club and Citralat 
there's so many rumors going around who's buying, who's selling, who's put offers in, etc. <laughs> Who knows? But um, I'd rather stay the way we are with the Lieber family, even if it's only 20% involved in some control, than ending up like some of these clubs who said all these sugar daddies are going to come along and save them and now we're in playing non-league football. Yeah, they're in receivership. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got one last question before we go on to our final little bit. What happened to Angus Gunn? Tell me. Angus Gunn is <laughs> maybe a brilliant keeper. <laughs> well, he's, he's just fallen out of favour, guys. He, uh, I think McCarthy started off at the end of the start of last year and then Gunn got a run and then McCarthy again. But this is probably something that me and John didn't touch on. We, we probably do need to bring a, bring a keeper. Don't mention it. Don't mention the 9-0. <laughs> we're not allowed <laughs> to mention it. You know you're not allowed to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> Fraser Forrester back from Celtic at the age of 32, just to give you an idea that, you know what, we probably are a bit short in that area as well. And they picked up some kid called Lewis. Um, not quite sure where he's from, but he's the fourth keeper there. But that... Position just doesn't seem to be settled at the moment. Uh, in, in fact, like Angus Gum made the English squad. He's mm, the son yeah. of the English goalkeeper. He's, mm. he's got that pedigree. He's got the skills, this, that, the other. I think every time it gets mentioned, every time Southampton played by the commentator, last year's game against, last season's game against Leicester, 9-0, I think that did a lot to damage the poor bloke's career. Um, yeah. And to be honest... I don't think he had a lot to blame to all those goals, the way they were just flowing coming in. No, he didn't have a bad think, game. I, I don't I think don't even think. Dino Zoff in his prime could have saved <laughs> half of them. <laughs> but it's funny. I, I think that it, it's been an interesting one to watch from outside. And I think with with keepers, it's possibly one of the only positions on the pitch where I think that that continuity is so important. And I think as the number mm. one keeper, you want that confidence that you are Definitely. the number one. Um, and I think it, it can be a bit of an issue when within a club when you're not quite sure who the number one is. And I think Southampton have now ha- – like you obviously want pressure on the number one. So I think that's been the issue at, say, Everton in that Pickford hasn't had someone definitely pr- pressuring him. But I think at Southampton, we've seen that for a while now where you're not quite sure who is the number one keeper. And I think if you've got that uncertainty, then that can sort of bleed into the – defence a bit as well because you, you know they're not quite sure who the number one is um, so yeah I, I, I agree with you on that one Jeff I, I think I think they almost just need to whether it's Gunn or whether it's McCarthy they just need to you know back one of them in and, and say you're the number one and um, see how they go with it you could have the main United third keep uh, third choice keeper we've got loads of keepers at the moment we don't know which one to pick Romero <laughs> <laughs> Romero yeah um, but, but okay, that's guys, been a problem coming... for a while, Man United, hasn't <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, we're just coming to the end of the interview. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Um, if anyone out there is a Southampton fan and they want to get in contact with you guys or someone else who's in their local area so they can come watch a game when we're allowed to pubs and stuff or whatever, what's the best place to um, get hold of you guys? Uh, I reckon that's our um, Facebook page, Southampton Australian Supporters on Facebook. We've also got a Twitter page, but if you get put on that or even send us a message on that, we'll be able to get you to your local city, your uh, capital city uh, group, or, yeah, you get involved with other Australian supporters and, yeah, we'll be fine. Perfect. Okay. And we can, we'll put a link in the um, show notes as well so everyone can get that. Now, we have f- three final questions to finish off, which is just one-word answers. So, John, going to you first, 
What will Southampton's final league position be? How long's a piece of string? Uh, 11th. <laughs> Jeff? 8th. Nice, nice. Um, and John, if you could single out one player to watch this season for Southampton, who would it be? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, oh, obviously Danny Ings, but I'd like to see Michael Obafemi get a few more games, and I think this guy's got potential. I don't know why, but yeah, I just think nice. this guy's got potential. Jeff, what about yourself? They're both fit now, not just one, but Armstrong and Denipo. Yeah. Two midfielders. Yeah, nice. Um, and the last one, which is nothing to do with Southampton, but international football. Um, John, who do you think will win the Euros at the end of next season? A Malta in it? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when in doubt, go for Germany. But uh, as an, someone of Italian heritage, I'd go Italy. <laughs> Nice. Jeff, what about yourself? Uh, the All Whites, New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, thanks so much for your time today, guys. Um, it's been great talking to you about Southampton a bit. Um, everyone at home, thanks for listening. As always, if you want to get in contact or ask us questions, just shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com or search Football Shed on Facebook. And we'll be back soon with another Shed special. Um, thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you, gentlemen. See ya. Thanks, guys. <laughs>